Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. This particular crossroads provides the location for one of the most famous poems ever written. The one you just heard beautifully read and played. It was the clear winner when former poet laureate Robert Pinsky asked Americans to submit their favorite poem. Google data makes it the most searched poem by at least four times when compared to other poets and over twice as much when compared to popular works in other forms, such as Bob Dylan's Like a Rolling Stone or F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby or Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Further, the poem was read without attribution in a New Zealand Ford Motor Company commercial as a young man mulls over the momentous decision of which car to buy. And it has been featured in a host of other commercials and advertisements in this country, including Mentos, Nicorette, AIG, and Monster.com. It is so famous that people can refer to it like M. Scott Peck in his mega bestseller, The Road Less Traveled, without even ever quoting the poem itself or naming the poet, Robert Frost. References to the poem occur frequently in popular songs, TV shows, movies, and almost all of them use Peck's title rather than Frost's. They speak of the road less traveled, rather than the title that Frost chose, The Road Not Taken, which is interesting. Now, I used to think the poem could be fairly summed up by the last three lines. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. But if so, why all those other lines leading up to that? Poets, after all, generally speaking, are known for choosing their words carefully and avoiding extraneous verbiage. And if it has indeed made all the difference, why does the poem end there without at least giving a few examples? And why didn't Frost call it the road less traveled if that was the point, and it is a more melodious line, rather than the road not taken? Okay, Rod, you may be thinking about now. Fascinating literary discussion, but hearkening back to what you were saying about extraneous verbiage, just what is your point? Only this. The poem may be less about the choice than the choosing. Less about confidence than confusion. Less about the road traveled than the road not taken. Less about knowing and more about not knowing and proceeding anyway. And that's what I want to talk a little about today. Readers imagine Frost is saying, be your own man, do your own thing, march to the beat of a different drummer, said Jay Perini, a poet, novelist, and Frost biographer who teaches at Middlebury College. That's nonsense. The truth is, the way parts before us, and we just don't know which is the right fork. We just don't know. I just don't know. And seen in this light, while maybe not as classically inspirational, I can relate it more directly to my own life. I often find myself in that place of not knowing and needing to choose 
anyway. And my point is not to discredit any particular interpretation, crabby Frost biographers aside, but to simply draw our attention to some commonly overlooked elements of the poem. To notice that most of this fairly brief poem has to do not with a journey on the road less traveled, but with those moments of uncertainty at the crossroads. You will notice that the poet is not actually saying, I took the road less traveled by and that has made all the difference. The poet has just barely embarked upon the road, may even still be at or near the crossroads at the end of the poem. The poet is saying, years and years from now, looking back, I will say, I took the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference. The poet does not know what will occur on this road and can certainly not know at the time if it has made all the difference and difference from what, one might ask, from the road not taken. And if so, how would he know what the difference would be because he could not travel both being one traveler. And I raise these questions because I think what Frost beautifully captures in the poem is that circumstance common to all people where we have to draw what distinctions we can between the choices available to us and decide without knowing for sure what is best. I can look down each road as far as possible, but they inevitably bend in the undergrowth and I can only see so much from my current location. I can examine the conditions of each path as best I can, but my conclusions can be maddeningly ambiguous and even contradictory. For example, Frost is not entirely sure that the road less traveled by is actually less traveled. As he writes, it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. And Frost, like me, when faced with a decision between one path and another, seems to wish to choose both. Thank you very much. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler long I stood. I've been there. It reminds me of the famous Yogi Berra quote, when you reach a fork in the road, take it. Frost revisits the desire later in the poem, having chosen the second road, saying, oh, I kept the first for another day. And regretfully comes back to the reality of the situation. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. Can't choose both. Can't circle around and come back. I must choose. I must proceed. Two roads, two at least, diverge in a wood. Which way will I go? Which one will I take? What do I do in the face of a disturbing lack of reliable or any road signs? I can't offer any tidy answers which you're all probably used to by now. <laughs> because this, to me, is a part of the human condition. We must choose without having all of the information. We must choose a road without knowing exactly where it will lead. That calls for courage. 
a commitment to meet all that is ahead, much of which we cannot know in the moment. I remember thinking about this in Lutheran Sunday school and confirmation classes growing up. Though I was taught that Jesus, while fully God, had also been fully human, the one big difference that I saw is that when I read the story and in the way that it was explained to me, Jesus knew what was going to happen in his life. He could see precisely where his actions and the actions of others would lead. He knew how the stories, his story, and our story too, I was told. He knew how they ended. While the rest of us, humans, do not. We make our choices based on the information we have and with the perspective we are granted, but never knowing for sure if we chose rightly. And this sometimes leads to a preoccupation with the road not taken. Though it is a rarely remembered title, I am bound up with it more than I would like to admit. The messages come in many forms. If only I had done this. I should not have done that. If I did this then, just think where I would be now. If I had caught an earlier flight, I could have seen her before she died. If I had seized that opportunity, it would have opened up so many others. If I had spoken more directly, we could have avoided this miscommunication. If I had not spoken so directly, we could have avoided hurt feelings. The road I am on seems to be a dead end. If only I had taken that road, I'll bet that would have made all the difference. Parents tend to be familiar with this pattern. Was it something I did or didn't do? We ask ourselves when our children are in trouble or hurting. And when we respond to ourselves, the answer is often yes, and we think of the roads we should have taken. Whenever a death occurs, loved ones tend to run through all the could-have-beens and should-have-beens and might-have-beens, wondering about crossroads even from decades ago that may have altered, changed, prevented What has happened? Now the roads we choose to travel, the roads we are on, take up the majority of our energy and focus. But the imagined promises of the roads not taken travel with us too. And those imagined promises can come rushing forward in times of sorrow, stress, or anxiety. Given all this, Given all that I do not know, all that I cannot know about exactly where my choices will lead, how do I even make choices? What do I do when I reach the crossroads and there are no road signs? If I cannot know for certain which road is the right one, especially when both roads, while heading in different directions, look equally inviting or uninviting from my present perspective, how do I choose? I have decided for myself that it is not wise to place too much weight upon a decision, any decision, as if what I choose somehow determines my fate. 
Thinking that way, given all that I cannot know about the ramifications of a decision, I can find myself in a terribly anxious state. A more important question for me has become not what is decided, but who is deciding. It is me, but which me? An anxious, striving, fearful, unreflective me? Or a grounded, thoughtful, compassionate, trustworthy me? A me that is wrapped up in denial and self-justification and self-interest? Or a me that is mindful of my connection to others? A me that dares to be honest with myself? A me that is not concerned with making excuses, but with taking responsibility. It is less about what I decide to do and more about who I am when I make the decision. Less about the road I choose and more about the person who will travel that road. I have to choose without knowing for sure and have the courage to walk faithfully a path of which I can but glimpse a small piece. Because as I look back, the decisions I have most regretted, those for which I am ashamed or remorseful or guilty, seems to me I made those decisions from the most shallow, unreflective, disconnected, fearful, suspicious, self-absorbed part of myself. It was not so much that I chose wrongly, but that I wrongly chose. We want strength to face the crossroads, writes David Orr, whether from an ancient goddess or our own inner fortitude. But we also use the crossroads to contain or summon the troubling, the uncertain, the uncanny. The experience of standing at the crossroads touches a universal human experience, calling forth our powers of observation, reflection and intention. In calling us to declare the path we choose, we become aware of how little we control, which can create anxiety, uncertainty, fear. Or, in that space of unknowing, we can be called to reflect on our aspirations, our commitments, and our connections in light of the decision before us. We can remember that every one of us can bring the light of love to the world. That every one of us can be a blessing. Stephen Gaskin of The Farm, a utopian community in Tennessee, started in 1971 and still going in a variety of manifestations. Gaskin would say as the members were planning this community, let's talk about how we're going to be. Not how we're going to stop the war, or how we're going to make it fair, but how we're going to be. In other words, before we talk about how we are going to do something, let's talk about how we are going to be with one another while we're doing what we're doing. That's what our covenant is about. We as a congregation, we're not always going to make perfect decisions but we can nurture in ourselves the qualities of the sort of people whom we want to be doing the deciding. We can work to make sure that the place from which our decisions arise is a place of compassion 
and commitment and courage in recognizing that we are connected in mystery and miracle to the universe, to this community, and to each other. Decisions I make are important, of course, but I can never fully know if they are the best ones or the right ones. I can, however, pay attention to who is doing the deciding, to which me I have brought to the crossroads, to where my choices are coming from. I do not do that all the time. But when I do, when I can, I have found that that makes all the difference.